um, raise your hand if, and someone can give you one. Everyone probably already has one, so that's cool. Any of it? Anyone? Okay. Well, look, we are going to be covering over five chapters tonight. We're going to spend most of our time in chapters 11 and 12, and we're not going to read every word out of every chapter because a lot of the things are repeated. But by way of review, since we have so much to do, I want to just quickly go through kind of where we've been and kind of a summary to refresh your memory a little bit as to all the things that have been going on. Right now we find that the children of Israel have been planted right here at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've been here for a better part of a year. And in fact, I think I mentioned last week that everything we read from Exodus 19 all the way up through Numbers chapter 20 takes place right here. There's been no movement by the children of Israel. They've been planted right, right here. Now remember, it only took them six weeks to get there, but they've been planted here for nearly a year. And here they've received the law from the Lord. Uh, we find that the tabernacle has been built. The priesthood has been established. The priests have been ordained or consecrated. The feast days have been uh, put in place. They've been established and put in place. But most importantly, the most important thing that we all need to understand is they have been taught one very special lesson, and that lesson is God is holy and you are not. That is the most important thing. The key verse of chapter 11, really, uh, I believe in the whole book, is uh, verse 44 of chapter 11, especially the last part there where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. God has always wanted us to be set apart. God is saying, You be holy, for I am holy. He wanted his people to be set apart so he could have a relationship, fellowship with us. That's what we were created for, to have fellowship with him. So God has established a sacrificial system that we may approach God um, and our sins would be covered over or atoned for. And remember, everything that they have done so far, everything that's happened on every page is all pointing to Jesus Christ and his redeeming work on the cross Everything is pointing to him. We're getting the picture of what Jesus did on that cross, that sacrifice made once, which means now is the end to the sacrificial system, and for all, not only for them, but all of us today in 2020. So God gives them this book of Leviticus to instruct the people how they can have a relationship with him, um, how you can come into God's presence through us, substitute, I don't know what you want to call it, how you say it, uh, substitute of death, substitutionary, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, substitutionary, yeah, maybe that's the word, is that a word? Okay, am I making up a word? Substitutionary um, death, okay, amen? So that gets us caught up to where we are tonight, but let me begin by asking you a question. Are you familiar with the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness? Okay, that's not a scripture. Because a lot of people think it is. They go, yeah, you know that scripture, cleanliness is next to God. That is not a scripture. That was actually penned by John Wesley back in like the 1600s, and he got it from someone in the 1300s. I go down a lot of rabbit holes when I study, and I don't remember every detail, but you're familiar with it. Now, I would say this. The Jews would readily identify with that saying. They, to them, it, these words are synonymous, especially the children of Israel. Cleanliness is next to godliness, whether it was selecting their food, 
whether it was preparing their food, whether it was caring for a mom, or a mom caring for her baby, or diagnosing a disease, disposing of waste. Nothing was left to chance. Nothing in the camp of Israel would be left to chance, or the Bible says, lest someone would be defiled. So all of these things are working together. God is interested in every detail of their lives. Every detail. And God is interested in every detail of our lives. He issues His commands on what they should eat and what they should not eat. And here we have a slide of Leviticus, really, chapter 11. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles there. But let me say this real quick about these dietary laws that the Israelites are, are, are learning about. Understand that the Israelites are having this opportunity to demonstrate their obedience to God. Now, when I say obedience to God, I don't mean like God says, you do this and it's yes, sir, and you get on your knees and you go struggle and do that. Obedience to God is when you've just given your heart to God, of course you want to follow him. And so it wasn't like this huge struggle like with the whip like they experienced in Egypt by their slave masters. They, they're having an opportunity to, be, to demonstrate obedience to God by following these dietary laws. Also, these dietary laws allowed them to show a separation between them and the nations around them, the pagan nations that were their neighbors, and it also helped to protect their health. One of the most obvious reasons, many diseases, many diseases and problems were alleviated or prevented because of their obedience to these dietary laws. There isn't much doubt that the Lord gave them these rules to help them with their health, to keep that in mind. Look, look what it says here. We, we've experienced this passage. We studied it in Exodus chapter 15. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do, his right, and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So it's very clear that part of the reason why God was giving them these, these dietary laws is they didn't know much about microorganisms or bacterium and all the different things. God is protecting His people. He is the Lord who heals us. But again, the main purpose of the dietary code was to remind the Israelites that they belonged to God, that they were to be separated from the world, and they were obligated to keep the commands, everything that He has commanded them. Now let me point this out as we about to jump in. As we begin to read these dietary laws and the animals that they can eat and all the such thing, understand that it isn't necessary to identify every single animal that you can or you cannot eat. Keep in mind that, that Moses or the law named the representative animals. That's what you need to understand. Like, in other words, like he'll give you a list of some animals, but there's many more that aren't mentioned on both sides, that you can eat and you cannot eat. So Moses gives them general characteristics of the creatures that were approved and not approved. And the people had to exercise discernment when it came to animals that weren't specifically written down. Let's read together here in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides the hoof, 
thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat any of these among those which chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof, the camel. For though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. Likewise, uh, the safan. For although it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. The rabbit also. For though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the pig. For though it divides the hoof, thus making it split hoof, it does not chew cud. It is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. So again, we have some listings of clean animals and unclean animals. Among all the animals on the earth, God decides to, to start this list with the most common animals, the land animals. And he keeps it pretty simple. He says right here at the beginning, he says, really, there's only two things you really need to remember. You can eat any animal that has the split hoof or that chews the cud. But then here in verse 4, he, he gives us examples of animals that are unclean. And it's almost like he's saying, now don't get confused by these animals because these animals, they do one of the two, but they don't do both. For example, he says, the camel, for though it chews the cud, it doesn't divide the hoof. It's unclean to you. Likewise, that's a fan. For although it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you, the rabbit. And it goes on and explains the other animals that, that you aren't to eat. What we know now that they didn't know then was that many of these animals can be very dangerous if they're eaten. For example, just the rabbit. Now, this is interesting is when they trans did the translation from the Hebrew this word they use for the rabbit, they're not really sure if it's a rabbit. They just threw in the word rabbit. But this word we're calling rabbit, just if it is a rabbit, understand this. A rabbit can be very dangerous in eating. A rabbit, a wild rabbit. And there's a couple different diseases that rabbits have. One of them that you can catch is it's called tularema, right? Tularema. Yeah, and it's also known as rabbit fever. And really, the, the, the infection comes from the parasites that are on the rabbit, the ticks, the mites. And it's usually like after you kill it and you start skinning it, you're getting contaminated by the fur. Those little guys can jump on you. Maybe you make a hat or a scarf. Those little ticks or mites are on there. They bite you and you could get very sick as well. They could get in the meat. If you didn't cook the meat very thoroughly, you could catch this illness. We all know about pork. We all know you have, to, you have to cook pork to a very well done state. Or you can get tapeworms. You can get uh, other illnesses that come along with that. So right here, it's speaking of these animals that they didn't know anything about when it comes to microorganisms and parasites. And so God is protecting his people. Then it also, and I found this so interesting, it speaks of animals it just makes me laugh just to say it, that chew the cud. It's just such a funny way of saying things. These animals that chew the cud. Now, you farmers, you ranchers, you totally understand this. For city slickers, not so much. So uh, just a quick poll. How many of you know what it really means when you hear the term chew the cud? Uh, pretty much everyone here. 
But see, I had no idea. I've heard the term, of course. I had no idea what it means to chew the cud. But what I've learned through study is that some mammals are known as ruminants, and it comes from the Latin word rumin, uh, ruminare, and it means to chew again. So chewing the cud is referring to chewing the same stuff over and over again. And these animals are unique, these ruminants. They're unique because they have one stomach, but they have four chambers inside their stomach. Now, you can get into a really interesting conversation with one of our elders, Chris. He has a PhD in this stuff. And I had some great conversations about this as I was studying. But what they do is they, they go out and they feed in the pastures and they can stuff themselves with all this plant material. And they stuff themselves up and it goes into that first chamber inside their stomach. And there it ferments. And after a little while, they can regurgitate it back up into their mouth and they chew it again. And they chew it and they chew it to break it down into smaller bits so that when it goes back down into the stomach, there's a greater volume and the bacteria can increase it and they can get more nutrients out of it. I didn't know that. But they regurgitate the stuff back into their mouth. Like, you know, like just thinking about it just kind of grosses me out. But these ruminants, they, they fill up their bellies on like a very hot day, they can go out there and graze till they're stuffed. And then they can go lay down in the shade and rechew all that cut again. Now, that's why you, every time you see the cows, you know, their jaws are doing this and, and they mix that cud with saliva. That's why you always see that dripping coming off them. Not always, but a lot of the times because they're rechewing this cud. But it takes a long time to chew that cud. Have you ever heard the phrase, let me chew on that. Or, or yeah, you hear the phrase where you go, let me chew that over and I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. That all comes from this chewing of the cud. And uh, it, it just means to ponder. You know, the way we use it, I'm going to, let me chew on that a while, bro. It just means to ponder or to meditate or, you know, like Tom usually chews the cud before he answers. I wish that were true. I'm just the opposite. I rarely pause. I just always say what I think, but that's how you would use that. So ruminants, they include cattle and sheep and goats and giraffes and antelope and deer and kangaroos and stuff like that. But the rabbit, this one that's caused all this controversy, he looks like he's always chewing the cud. You see how a rabbit eats? You know, their jaws are going back and forth. And there's been this controversy about the rabbit. and Are they ruminants or not? And some people have, have felt like the Bible says they are. But science says they're not. So therefore, I can't believe the Bible. And people have walked away from their faith over a rabbit? And we don't even know if it's really translated rabbit. The bottom line is, God is protecting His children. He's requiring them to be obedient. But it's not something you would separate fellowship over or, or lose your faith over a rabbit. So let's, let's read on. It's just, I just found that so interesting. Verse 9, it says, These you may eat, whatever is in the water, all that have fins and scales. So we're going into aquatic life and, and uh, seafood. Those in the water... In the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. they got to have scales and fins. 
But whatever is in the seas and in the rivers that does not have fins and scales, among all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you. And they shall be abhorrent to you, and you may not eat of their flesh and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is, is abhorrent to you. So there goes your seafood. Red lobster, you're closing down. No more lobster, no more shrimp, no clams, no oysters. Uh, deadliest catch movie, you're off the air because the law here was you don't get any of the seafood. I love seafood. I'm kind of glad I'm not under the law. It goes on in verse 13. These, moreover, you shall detest among the birds. So now we're going to talk about the birds. They are, they are abhorrent to you, not to be eaten, the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard and the kite and the falcon in its kind, every raven in its kind, and the ostrich and the owl and the seagull and the hawk in its kind, and the little owl, owl and, and the cormorant and the great owl and the white owl and the pelican and the carrion vulture and the stork and the heron in its kinds, and the hope and the bat. So let me say, I don't even know what that animal is, the, the hope. Oh, someone over here is raising their hand going, I know. I don't know what that animal is, but let me tell you something. I am pretty sure I have never broken this set of laws right here. I have never eaten bat or a vulture, a buzzard, a kite, a seagull, a hawk. You know, some of the things, it just seems like common sense. Like, you don't eat that. Like, don't eat the raven who, who eats roadkill. You don't want to eat that. So I could say... In that little section, I would be ceremonial clean right here. Verse 20 happens now. All the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these things you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs which, with which to jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locusts in its kinds, and the devastate, devastating locust in its kinds, and the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. But all other winged insects, which are four-footed, are detestable to you. Stop right here, because I need to confess. This section I have not obeyed. And it's not because I went to some gourmet restaurant and I had chocolate-covered grasshoppers or I wanted to be Mr. Spiritual and fast and have locusts and honey and be like John the Baptist. The reason why I confess to you that I haven't obeyed these section laws is because I have ridden a motorcycle most of my life. And to be honest with you, I don't know what some of those insects were that went down my throat. I mean, you learn when you've ridden a bike as long as I have. You don't sing really loud while you're riding your motorcycle. You don't yawn. And if you do, you do one of these. You don't do that. And I know a bee. I mean, I have picked stuff off of me and my clothes. And look what it says as we move on. By these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. Whoever picks up or picks off, in my case, any of their carcasses, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. So, right here you can understand what I'm saying. Let's read on. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof, but do not, but do not make a split hoof. 
or which do not chew the cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws among all the creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses uh, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now these are to you the unclean among the swarming. Now when it says swarming, it's really ref- it really means creeping. I like to consider it scurrying animals that are on the ground. Um, among the swarming things that swarm on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard in its kinds and the gecko, and the crocodile, and the lizard, and the sand reptile, and the chameleon. These are to you unclean among the swarming things. Whoever touches them when they are dead becomes unclean until evening. Also, anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article or clothing or skin or a sack, any article which use is made. It shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening, then it becomes clean. As for any earthenware vessels into which one of them may fall, whatever it is, whatever is in it becomes unclean, and you shall break the vessel. Any of the food which may be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean. This is talking about anything that comes in contact with the water that was in one of these vessels becomes unclean. And any liquid which may be drunk in every vessel shall become unclean. Everything, moreover, on which part of their carcass may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed. They are unclean and shall continue as unclean to you. Now let's just stop right there for a second. I've read every word of this chapter so far for effect. Because I, I want, wanted you to get a feel of what it was like to be under the law. It, it's hard. There is a lot to try to remember. And, and you get the feeling of what it must have been like. In this section, it talks about whenever one of those unclean animals dies and it falls on something, that that article is unclean, whether it's wood or cloth or hide or if it's earthenware, then you have to smash it. If it's wood, you have to rinse it. And and then it talks about how anything that is to be eaten or drank, if it comes in contact with the water that was in that thing that touched the dead animal, then that too would be unclean. Look, the Jews, they got to the point where they were so concerned about what went into their bodies they would take cloths and they would put them over all of their vessels that, that held water or wine to protect them from any insect or any, anything that would contaminate the water. And they would stretch the cloth over the pots that carried the liquid. And even when they poured the liquid into a pitcher, which is then poured into a cup, they would cover it. And so they would be straining out any insects that may have gotten in there. Now, what if you're drinking it, they pour it, and then a gnat flies and lands in there? You have to pick it out before it drowns because then it's a dead carcass and it contaminates everything. And what if it happens to the priest and it's at Passover? Well, then Passover's over for you because you're unclean. 
And you have to have a full week to get clean again. The Mishnah, I brought a copy of my copy of the Mishnah. This is, this is the book of their law, man-made law. It's thicker than the entire Bible. It was written by the scribes and the Pharisees as a hedge of protection around the law. To keep you from breaking any law, you had to go through the Mishnah. It was like a protection, a, the outer ring, a layer of protection that you never sinned. But what happened, this man-made book became nothing but a heavy burden on the people. It got to be a big thing about legalism. This book, this man-made book that's thicker than the Bible was addressed by Jesus. You remember when Jesus talked to the Pharisees about straining out a gnat? Look what he said. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So powerful. Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, look, you're taking such great measures to make sure nothing unclean enters your body, yet you don't consider your own hearts. Their hypocrisy was to teach well and then not do accordingly. Or their hypocrisy was either to concentrate on one aspect of the law and to the detriment of a more weightier, a more important part of the law. That's what it says. You, you, they neglected the weightier portions of the law, which were justice and mercy. Look, the heart of the Lord is mercy and faithfulness. And yet they were straining out a gnat and it's swallowing a camel. Jesus is saying, you can straight out all the gnats you want. You're still unclean. And then he takes it further in the same chapter there. He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You remember that? You're like a whitewashed tomb, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly, you are full of hypocrisy and lawless, lawlessness. Well, what's, what's that talking about? In, in the slide here, you see a whitewashed tomb. Tombs in ancient Israel were, they were hollowed out out of rock formations uh, right outside the village or right outside the town. And a grave, a tomb, could easily go unnoticed in the ancient world because... They would hollow them out, then they'd roll that big rock in front of them, and it looked from a distance, you really couldn't see it, that it was a tomb. It just looked like part of the landscape. A person could come along who's not familiar with the local area, and they could easily go up and touch the grave, and then their corpse impure. And the reason why this was important, the reason why they whitewashed them, they were marking them to say, stay away, don't touch this area. Remember, it was a long trip from Jerusalem 
where the people were going for the Passover feast and the other feast, and they came from everywhere. So it's not, it's very reasonable to assume that maybe they'd go off the side of the road to relieve themselves or whatever, but they could stumble across these tombs and boom, you're unclean. And now you got to miss the Passover. Now, maybe it's the priest or they're carrying some uh, ceremonial clean article with them. And the same thing. So they pour lime on these graves that you see there to mark them so that the priest and the people and whoever would not accidentally touch them. That's how serious they were about these. The tombs had to be whitewashed to clearly mark that this is off limits. So Jesus is comparing the scribes and the Pharisees to tombs. He's saying, you're all nice and clean on the outside. But really, you need to be avoided because people will get contaminated by you. It's just, it's brutal. Jesus knew the book of Leviticus. He knew these laws about cleanliness and and everybody knew these laws. It was the first book you studied as a child. You didn't start with Genesis and the Torah or Exodus. You started with Leviticus, our favorite book of the Bible. Jesus' words come as a striking rebuke to anyone stuck in hypocrisy and legalism. We have to always examine ourselves, church. We can get so focused on the outside things. I come to church, I tithe, I do this, and not even realize that something inside our hearts is not right. You get so focused on the outward things that you can miss the inward things. I'm not doing sins of commission, but sins of omission could be fatal for you. Verse 36, Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern collecting water shall be clean, though the one who touches their carcasses shall be unclean. If a part of their carcass falls on any seed or sowing, which is to be sown, it is clean. Though if water is put on the seed and a part of the carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. Also, if one animal dies, which you have for food, and the one who touches its carcass becomes unclean until evening, he too, he eats some of, of its carcass, shall wash his clothes and, un, and be unclean until evening. And the one who picks up its carcass uh, shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Verse 41, now, everything, now every swarming thing that swarms on the earth is detestable, not to be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly and whatever walks on all fours, whatever has many feet, the centipede, the millipede, in respect to every swarming thing that swarms on the earth, you shall not eat them, for they are detestable. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, and you shall not make for yourselves unclean with them, so that you become unclean. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy For I am holy, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. He says it twice. Verse 46, this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between unclean and the clean. And between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. It's interesting. It says right here that God 
gave them this law regarding all things that move on the earth and in the sea to be able to make a distinction between clean and unclean. God wants us to be able to make distinctions between what's good for us and what's bad for us. But it's not only about foods, church. We are to be set apart from the world. We need to be able to make distinctions between what is sin and what is not sin, what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. Now look, first, when we're children, we're told what to do, what is good and what is bad. And then the older you get, you get it. You don't have to be told. You start to develop discernment. Spiritually, it's the same thing. For them, immature, it started with foods. And then it moves into people groups. And then it moves in where you should live and who you should marry. As we grow spiritually, I, I hope we're gaining discernment about people groups and about where we should live and about who to marry and what's good for us emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically. Some of us have gotten ourselves into tough situations because we didn't make the distinction. And God's been trying to teach us this from the very beginning. God is concerned about every area of our life, every aspect, and we need to pray and ask God for discernment. Before you come to us, ask God. Say, God, what are you showing me? Is this right for me? Is this wrong for me? Is this sin for me? Is this not sin for me? And don't be afraid of the truth. Now, I know we got to get moving, but we will make it. Chapter 12. We're going to summarize the rest of these chapters. Chapter 12 is the laws of motherhood. And we're going to read a few verses here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then, he shall, then she shall remain in the blood of her purification for three days, for 33 days. She shall not touch any consecrated thing nor enter the sanctuary until the days of her purification are complete. Now right here, this isn't, please don't take this as something that she did wrong. Bleeding and discharge is part of childbirth. It's a natural thing. It's not sin. It's a natural part of it, but there is a process that God still wanted them to go through. It goes on and it says if she bears a female child, then her purity cycle is double. Instead of 33 days, it's 66 days. It goes on and it says that, when the, that later on, she is to do, when she's done with her cleanliness, then she is to offer a lamb for a burnt offering. And if she can't afford much, then turtle doves or pigeons. And this is all to um, symbolize that she has dedicated herself over to the Lord now that when things get back to normal. It goes on and says, if you can't afford a lamb, that you shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons in verse 8. And one is for the burnt offering and one is for the sin offering. And the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now, it's interesting how this is what Mary and Joseph did. 
when they had Jesus and they went and they had the baby. And later on, when they take Jesus to be circumcised at the temple, they offer up two turtle doves because it shows, speaks of how low income they were. Verse chapter 13 goes on and it talks about the test for leprosy. Now this is, this is intense. Um, we're just going to read six verses in chapter 13 because I want to give you the flavor of it. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons of the priest. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and if the hair in the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of the body, and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day, and if, his eyes, and if in his eyes the infection has not changed and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven days. The priest shall look at him again on the seventh day. And if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be unclean. So in, in this chapter, God appoints priests to act as examiners. And they are to determine whether a victim is clean or unclean, whether they, they needed to be separated from the group and the rest of the camp. And the person being examined is to be isolated, it says, for as long as two weeks to see if the disease gets better or it gets worse. Now the symptoms might involve swelling and a rash, verses 1 through 8. It might involve swelling, whiteness, and raw flesh, verses 19 through 17, which we're not going to read. In verses 18 through 23, it's going to give the descriptors of boils. And then in verses 24 through 28, it's going to talk about burns. Again, all the things that you are to do, what it looks like. If it's deeper in the skin, it's this. Isolate, it's that. And then verses 29 through 44, the various other skin eruptions that can happen. But listen to this. Not everything that looked, that they use this word leprosy, not everything that looked like leprosy was actually leprosy. It's kind of a generic term they use in the Bible. For many things, these skin irritations, eczema is mentioned in verse 39. And it's a condition that caused the skin to become red and swollen and itchy. And we've seen commercials about it. Sometimes it blisters and it weeps. But it would be very cruel and brutal to isolate somebody in a leper colony when they have eczema. Now skip to verse 45. I want to just share this point with you. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair on his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. There's no doubt that leprosy was brutal. One of the most horrible infections, diseases you could ever get. It's called Hansen's disease today. And people would literally, they're rot. And they would lose the filling in their appendages. And 
lose their ability to clean themselves and a horrible, horrible death resulted. Now, God isn't giving us these rules just so we can shame them people and they have to go and they say, unclean, unclean. No, He's doing it to protect everybody. He's doing it to protect the ones who just have a different skin irritation and it's not leprosy. He's doing it to protect the rest of the camp. Quarantine, in many cases, is a good thing. And it's so sad if you got it, but God is protecting the rest of the camp. So chapter 14 begins with the cleansing of the leper. As we move on. And then, and in the cleansing of a leper, we'll read a few verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet string and hyssop and one uh, for the one who is unclean. It goes on to explain the process of what you do when someone has been cleansed. They've been healed. Maybe it wasn't leprosy, but they're still in an unclean state. You go through this process of birds and it resembles as you read on, much like the anointing of the priest, where you put the blood on your earlobe on the right thumb and on the right toe. Then you put the oil on the earlobe, on the thumb, on the right toe of the person who is cleansed. And then you sprinkle the blood all on them. It's very similar to what we've seen with the priest. And then from verse 21 on down, it explains the same process and what you do if you're poor. If you don't have much money. Now skip over to verse 33. Because here, houses can get leprosy. See what I'm saying about leprosy? It isn't just... It doesn't mean rotting flesh. Here it's talk, it goes on to explain that a home can get full of mold or mildew or fungus. We know how dangerous that is today. It happened then. And it would, could be especially dangerous as they went into the new land. They could carry that fungus into their promised land and totally destroy all of their crops. Now I want to read verse 54 through 57 of chapter 14. This is important. This is the law for any mark of leprosy, even for a scale, and for the leprous garment or a house, and for a swelling and for a scab and for a bright spot, to teach them that they are unclean, and when they are clean, this is the law of leprosy. I, I wanted to read that just so you knew the wide range. Flesh, people, inanimate objects, this whole thing about leprosy, but this is the most important thing. Since disease is an illustration of sin in the Bible, as we read these verses, we learn a great deal about the symptoms of sin. Number one, we learn that sin is deeper than skin level. It, we read a couple of those verses about what leprosy looks like. The heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible tells us. That it is desperately sick. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. It helps us to understand that. The, 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 new, the NIV translated as beyond cure. Your heart is beyond cure. But sin is not a surface problem that can be solved with a simple solution. It's like trying to put sanitizer on cancer. It doesn't work. Sin is, unless the heart is changed, the person won't change. Often in counseling, 
I let people know I'm not really going to try to counsel each individual issue. Instead, I'd rather get to the heart of the issue. And when the heart changes, the sin, the symptoms will go away after that. So sin is deeper than the skin. Number two, sin spreads like leprosy. What begins as a sore gradually spreads throughout the whole body, corrupts the body, ugly. Sin does the same thing. And you think of what James wrote, the progression of sin. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So the last thing that we see with, with sin and how it relates, or leprosy, how it relates to sin is sin isolates. It tells us as we were reading about leprosy that when someone has leprosy, you isolate him. And verse 46 of chapter 13, it said, He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So uncontrollable sin is a tragedy and it isolates you. You don't, you know people know, and it's hard to look people in the eye. And you just, like a leper, you start to draw away. So the consequences of leprosy are, are temporal. The consequences of sin are eternal. Jesus is the cure. Amen? Now, lastly, as we close out with chapter 15, this is speaking about bodily discharge. Yay! And... Uh, so we'll read a couple verses. The Lord also spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Verses 3 through 12 outline the various discharges, saying, If he slept on a bed, the bed is unclean. Anyone who touches the bed is unclean. Verse 6, anyone who sits on a thing that that man sat on is unclean. Verse 7, anyone who touches this person any, if he spits on you, you're unclean. It goes on and on about the saddle um, is unclean if he sits on it. If you touch anything that he touched, if you carry anything that he touched, it goes on and on about all the things that are unclean. If he touches you and he forgot to rinse his hands, then you're unclean. That's in verse 11. And then anything that he touches, earthenware, articles there to be broken, washed, just like all the other things. Verse 13, it goes on and it says when the man becomes cleansed because sometimes they, maybe God heals them. Maybe the ones who were healed by God, the lepers, they had to go through this process. They, were, they had to go, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. They were ruled clean, so they had to go through this process of being separated for seven days. Their clothes were washed um, uh, and they had to bathe in running water to become clean. And then on the eighth day, they had to offer a sacrifice, two young pigeons or turtle doves before the Lord. And the priest offers one for a sin offering, one for a burnt offering to make atonement, to cover over the sin of this whole thing. And then verses 19 through 30, it's rinse and repeat for a woman. The exact same thing we just went through. Now it's the same thing for a woman through those verses. But let's close with this verse in verse 31. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanliness so that they will not die in their uncleanliness by their defiling my tabernacle that is among them. God is saying we, we need to be separated 
from unclean things. Here he's saying, separate them so they will not die. Pretty strong words. Pagan worship during that time often involved sexual acts. It was everywhere. Their gods were sexual. And it's somewhat common today in our world. And so look, it doesn't matter what you're struggling with, what's making you unclean. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It could be any sin that's keeping you unclean. The way out of it is the Word. God's Word is what cleanses us. In John 15, verse 3, Jesus said to His disciples, You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Thank you for being patient. I know we went over a little bit, but there was a lot to cover, and I hated to skip a lot of it and go so fast, but you can be cleansed by the Word. So I wanted to leave a positive note of the things that we all struggle with from time to time. The Word of God is what cleanses you. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Father, we know every chapter, no matter how intense, how gross, how straightforward it is, has special meaning. Father, we ask that whatever it is today that um, You've designed for each and every person here, that they'd be able to receive it in the privacy and the honesty of their own heart. And Father, you would help them to do something with it. Father, we know the cure is Jesus and the cure is your word. Your Bible teaches us that. So Father, help me to purify my heart and my life through your word, uh, through openness, through the love of the saints. And I pray that for each and every person as well here and tonight. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to dig into your word. Uh, Father, be with us next week as we dig into the uh, atonement festival. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.